Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Common Sense Show. Thank you for joining us. We are the show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. And we're going to be talking about all things education today. And uh, as you know, I'm a former educator. I've taught everything from ninth grade to postgraduate. And I uh, had experience in the athletic scene, too, both in high school and college. And and uh, I have definite opinions. And, and you know I've grown much more critical. You know, 50,000 parents didn't show up for school, didn't have their kids show up for school the first day. And I think for good reason. And we're going to get into some of these issues. And more importantly, though, we're going to talk about what we can do to improve our schools because our schools are not going in the right direction. It's not that we're the worst in the nation, our world, we're not, but uh, we have a problem. But anyway, joining us will be Keith Ballard. But before we go to Keith, this award-winning educator who's written a very, very provocative book, uh, and I was reading through this last night, wow. And by provocative, I mean it makes you really look at what we're not doing that we could be doing with minimal expense to fix this issue that uh, we're undereducating our kids compared to our main adversaries like in China. So we're going to be getting into that issue, and uh, we want to leave you with some solutions before we close today. But before we go there, I need to let you know that uh, the noose around our food supply is tightening. I talked to farmers. You've heard some of them on this show. They're not getting the fertilizer they need, and there's now new climate restrictions on the potency of fertilizer, which is affecting crop yield. Food supply chain is still broken. The 103rd food processing plant has been destroyed for one reason or another in the last 18 months. That's hurting uh, productivity. The railroads may be going on strike September 16th. That's when they're allowed to do so, and they are at an impasse right now. So we've got, what, about 14 days, two weeks left till we might see substantial amounts of food not being transported to market. I know the farmers are really worried about that. I could go on and on. That's why you need storable food. You need something to get you through. And MPS still has a great, great deal right now that you can get into. They have not raised prices, which is amazing, and they still have their specials. And you can see all that at preparewithdave.com. That's preparewithdave.com. Also, we're happy to join forces with Mike Lindell and MyPillow, and we were using their products line before I ever talked to the Lindell people, and uh, that's available to you for half off. That's the offer that they offered to you guys in our audience. Half off, two for one. Simply go to mystore.com. Hodges is your keyword. And look at all the deals that are there. That is absolutely fantastic. And then finally, ladies and gentlemen, 
I would say this. If you're not on our TV show and it's a small, small subscription fee, you're going to want to join. We have to raise rates, and we've extended that deadline to the 15th because bandwidth costs have gone up. That is not a moneymaker for us. I'm serious. The, the TV show is not a moneymaker. We do it as a public service because we have absolutely no holds barred, no censorship, no government oversight. We can simply let our guests tell the truth and not worry about content. And we do so at a break-even rate. And we got to raise the rates, and we're doing it on the 15th. So you can get in right now for $2.99 a month on the annual plan. And we have a panel of experts that are just like the guest we have here, Keith Ballard. They're experts in their area. And they come in and they tell you what's what and what you need to be doing. It's worth the price of admission, and it's an entertaining format. So how do you go there? Simply go to thecommonsenseshow.tv, and the sign-up instructions are very simple, and we'll see you over there. Well, Keith Ballard has been, uh, well, he's been a pharmaceutical rep. He's uh, what I call a uh, world-class athlete. The things this guy's done, uh, he did something, I, I swim. And, and I can swim fairly well, but I sure as heck wouldn't try to swim across San Francisco Bay uh, to Alcatraz. <laughs> no, he did that. He did that. And he's done some other amazing things. But where he's really made his uh, claim to fame here is uh, Keith has won over 25 teaching awards, was named the California Music Educator of the Year in San Diego County, Office of Education Teacher of the Year. Uh, he has had so many awards. It's absolutely incredible. He's been on uh, shows like Donnie and Marie, NBC Today, uh, Deborah Norvell, and Inside Edition. And that's because he tells it like it is about our education system. And he's not bitter. This isn't, this isn't going to be a hate-filled broadcast towards education. It's going to be a systematic analysis towards education and what we need to do to make things better. He's written a terrific book. Uh, and I've been working my way through the book. It's uh, fascinating to me as an educator, former educator on many points, and as a parent, it was very interesting to me. And uh, we're going to have him talk about that book, and he's going to also tell you how you can get a copy, and I'd highly recommend it because it's good reading. It's one of those things, you guys know how busy I am. I read 15 pages when I should be prepping for my next interview. And then I read another 15. I mean, it's really good. It's tough to put down. It's a great book. So, Keith Ballard, welcome to the Common Sense Show. First time on, and we're really glad to have you. One educator to another, I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you very much, Dave. It's uh, both an honor and a pleasure to be on your show and to share some of the things I've learned uh, in the last 10 years. Well, it is amazing, but I'll tell you, a lot of uh, teachers in the trenches would echo what you're saying, but what you did that I think sets you apart in a professional, dogmatic fashion, devoid really of condemning emotion, you laid out real issues that other countries are doing that we're not and we should be doing. And so let's just start with a key issue for you. If you were to pick one issue that you think our public should know about that's being done in other schools in other countries that we're not, what would you say that would be? Well, I'll tell you that in about a minute. Before we get to that, Dave, I'd like to say that I recently did a TED talk over at Grand Canyon University, and I started my TEDx talk, and I said, our greatest problem in public education, as I see it, and we have many problems, you know that as a teacher, but our absolute greatest problem is that of the 170 schools that I visited throughout the world, mostly in the 17 best educational countries, 
based on a test called the PISA test. And PISA stands for Program for International Student Assessment. And it's a test that they give every three years to 15-year-olds. And it not only measures, Dave, um, what the kids have actually learned in those subjects, but it's based on application, so problem-solving. And so it's a good good indicator and to see who might be innovating and, and, and is really learning in the future. Now, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. But I went to each one of these countries that are significantly head. And at every school, I always ask the same question. How often do you see Americans here? And the most common answer was never. And only on two occasions had they seen an American. And we're not talking about an American tourist. We're talking American policy maker, uh, you know, possibly a politician interested in improving education, uh, teachers, administrators, right? And so, but they had seen countless amounts of educators from Asia. Mm -hmm. And particularly there was this one country that maybe you've heard of and and I've heard of called China that has about 1.4 billion people. And they're number one in the world on this test in math reading science. Their kids are number one. But you know what? Number one isn't good enough. You know why? Because they're still out there trying to learn. And they not only want to be number one now, but they want to be number one and dominate in all of the things they're doing in business, in military, everything. And education is just one of them. So, isn't that amazing? That's the attitude that we need. So um, we need that. So, again, what's our greatest problem? We're not out seeing what the best are doing. Liberals would say, Dave, you know, how do we improve our system? And you know this as well as I do. What do they do? They throw more money at it. But you know what? We're one of the biggest spenders in the world. So it's not about money. It's about fixing this antiquated, archaic system that I have to work in. It's like. Everybody knows that there's a big elephant in the world, but don't you don't want to talk about it. So I hope that that's a, that's a lead up to kind of where I'm going. So there's a number of things we could improve on. I'd say if I had to pick one, it'd have to be in career and technical education. Some of us might have heard of vocational education, but we call it CTE, career and technical education. And we say we're doing a lot, and now there's a lot of money being put into this. Unfortunately, as I see it in my own school district, I work for the Sweetwater Union High School District. I believe it's the largest secondary school district in all the nation. It's one of the largest in San Diego County. But I see the great failure, and I brought this to my administration um, based on best practices of what I've seen around the world, and they don't want to hear it. They're not interested. Status quo, status quo, status quo. That is American public education. And darn damn, you never better criticize it. Because if you're not in the party line, you know, you're not walking the party line saying what they want you to say, they'll shut you down. And you know that as well as I do. That's how it works. But career and technical education, we can go over that because I'm going to let, I'm going to give it back to you now, Dave. But I'd like to go over the details of, you know, what are we doing and what are the best in the world doing? And the reason I bring this up is because so many of our kids, Dave, as you know, are will not go to college. Oh, they might get into college, but getting there and sticking there and coming out with a bachelor's degree are two things. Many, many, many people start college or the university. At the end of the game, 
if you add in all socioeconomic groups and different cultures, it's only about one-third of students will finish. So what does that leave? That leaves with two-thirds without really proper education in many ways. And so what if we could, what we need to do is try to, as they do in Germany and many other countries, Switzerland and Singapore, is they give the students a choice. They um, train a student in a in a uh, vocation uh, of their choice, something they want to do, they can pick. And by by uh, the time they graduate from high school, they are a certified plumber, a certified nurse assistant, a certified auto mechanic, a certified electrician. I'm telling you, they can seamlessly go from what we would call school to career. Yes, exactly. Our CTE yeah. pro- programs here are more like a national joke. We say that to the parents. We lie to them. But at the end of the day, very few of our kids can seamlessly go. This it, Over in the U.S., it's more like a you know, we give them a taste of something, and there's no real training to back it up, no apprenticeships, no, there's no, you know, there's nothing really great in there that will really prepare them with a with a really intense curriculum, with really high certified teachers where they can do that. Um, there's always exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, we don't do that here. And it, and it, and you know what, here's, here's where it, 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 it's not it's not something, for example, that's going to affect the kids with parents with money and kids that really have direction, because there's always those kids. But it's the kids in the middle and more of the kids on the low end, like the kids that I work with at Southwest Middle School that are only about three minutes from the border, about 95 percent Latino, only with a third grade um, reading level on average at our school. And kids that, at the most, only about 10 or 12% will ever get a bachelor's. Those are the kids that are really suffering. And, and you know what happens, Dave? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up now, but here's what happens. In these low-performing disadvantaged schools, and we have so many of them here in the U.S., what, what kids do is they finally figure out that they're not going to go to college, even though the administration and all the teachers tell them they're going to go to college. It's like telling me that I'm going to be in the Super Bowl when I just know that's not the case. As a little kid, I might believe that, but I start growing up sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and I start thinking, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to go there. Yeah. So anyways, I, that's kind of an intro, but uh, I would say it's CTE, and we could dig into the details of that if you want. Now, I want to, I want to validate what you're saying from two perspectives. Back in the 90s, I was at a high school where I was the co-chair of our school accreditation committee with North Central, which is the accrediting body in Arizona. And, and uh, I actually went out and I did some research on effective schools. And we did as much as we could internationally, but mostly we were domestically focused. And we found exactly what you're talking about. The overwhelming conclusion that I reached and I put into our report about needs for improvement in my report that uh, my, my co-chair, Sue Baumgartner, late Sue Baumgartner, and I put in was that we should be doing core classes from 730 to noon. And then kids need to be in an apprentice situation until 3, 4 o'clock, and that's when you start your athletic programs. 
And that was the recommendation we made. It was never followed up on in, in our district, which has now grown to a five high school district. So I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call buryyourgold.com and what it does is it goes into a container you lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches it's a 50-year warranty on the device it only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground and you can keep it for safekeeping and i'll tell you this is the way to hide your gold not in false walls but underground will be very very difficult to detect to find out more Go to BarrierGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Did you know that the World Economic Forum now, they in the last meeting they convened, they actually had a water board there with water experts, and they tell us our water is in danger and they have to take control of our water. Does that bother anybody? I'm sure it does. And I begin thinking right now about water safety. And we already know there's lead in the water, chemicals in the water. A lot of it's not safe to drink. But we have the answer for you. It's called the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. It's the best there is. And scientifically, they leave nothing to doubt as they publish their research at waterwithdave.com. And it's my choice for water filtration. Gravity powered. It reduces 206 contaminants. It targets heavy metals, fluoride, chlorine, and viruses. It is the best there is in the business. And you can read all the research on this simply by going to water with dave.com that's water with dave.com save eighty dollars for a short time discovered that from a research standpoint but let me speak to you about learning and coaching and here's what i discovered in about the last four or five years of my college coaching experience is that we do what's called a lot of block training you teach a kid to shoot a ball and he just shoots the ball over and over and over but it's not game like you have to make it realistic so we would introduce a skill but we would never allow that skill to be worked on again unless there was opposition to the skill to hone the skill and we did what was two-way teaching both offense and defense what i'm talking about there is the practical application to game-like conditions that's exactly what you're saying about education how it's not relevant to the real world and we're not prepping kids for the needs that they need to acquire to be successful in life is exactly the same thing okay so in germany singapore i mean i could go on <laughs> finland but germany switzerland switzerland and singapore are the gold standards in the world in career and technical education and i visited a number of their cte schools um, particularly Switzerland, 
is just off the charts. And Singapore, um, Singapore's, um, I, I would describe it something like this. We're kind of like the Flintstones, if you remember the Flintstones um, in the cartoon. Yeah, where I'm old enough to remember, yes. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're, <laughs> they're more like the Jetsons. I mean, they are so ahead. And you know where they got many of their ideas 40 years ago? Oh, yeah, from the U.S. system. The thing is, is they kept evolving, and they kept looking. And they do something called um, international comparative benchmarking. So they're constantly looking and going out and seeing what the best are doing. And in in business, we call it, I believe, is industrial benchmarking, right? Mm -hmm. So you're a company, and you're constantly looking at your competitors. But for the most part in U.S. education, we don't even know what that term even means. And that's why we've pretty much been in, you know, kind of a zero growth. Yeah, we've gotten a little better over the last 30 years, but slightly uh, for the amount of money that we've had, not much. But I will tell you this. Um, let's look. What, let, me, let me play on what, what, you're, what you brought up. So... Students need to see relevance for what they do. And again, let's go back to the mantra of U.S. education. What is it? All kids are going to go to college, right? That's, that's our mantra. That's our mantra at the school that my son just graduated at. That's the mantra where I work. Now, we know that's not the case. So you have to give kids relevance and that's what apprenticeship programs do right where kids go to the real world they learn how um they learn how to to get dressed up right how to speak right how to act right they don't really teach that in the schools they don't my son just graduated from monta vista high school he wasn't even aware to go to an interview that you had to dress up and i was with two or three of his friends and i'm like they don't even tell you that stuff no you know why because there is no class that would prepare you to do that. Um, and there is no class over at Southwest High School where my kids go or, or our school. We don't even talk about those things. But let's, let's look at it like this. Um, okay, so Germany uses something called the dual system. Now, I would say Germany's actually, I, I, they, although they have an excellent CTE program, they start a little bit uh, too young. So at about 12 years old, they kind of start seeing where the Student is academically. They talk with this. They they talk with the parents, and they kind of, in a way, they kind of start placing that student in a certain whether they're a university bound or more like uh, vocational bound. Now there are good and things. There are pros and and cons of this, but the con is it starts earlier. The pro is it gets kids really focused, so they start learning a skill. Let's say this, that student wants to be an electrician. Well. They, it's right in on it, man. They're learning about basic electronics. By the time they're 15, 16, literally they can wire a house. Nothing wrong with that. They're pretty good at it. And by the time they're maybe 16, around 16, um, when they have the skills, then they go out and apply for an apprenticeship. Now, I'm not sure what it was as an electrician, but I know most of the businesses, and this is something that the government helps pay for, too. It's subsidized. But, for example, a 16-year-old person in auto um, auto repair 
maintenance program is going to get paid about a thousand U.S. dollars. I don't know what that translates in euros per month. So can you imagine that you're 16? Now I went into some of these places. They had maybe 40 to 50 cars to work on, really, really high end stuff, high quality teachers, high quality facilities, and they're doing this the majority of the day. Yes, they're still taking basic, you know, math and English and that sort of thing, but they're really learning, you know, to to have a skill so they can be a productive citizen and and leave. Singapore does it um, pretty much the same way. And 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 in Germany and and uh, Switzerland, let me go back. They call that the dual system. So part of the time the kids are working in school, and part of the times they're working in manufacturing. So they might spend two or three days in school and and a few days out in the real world, and then they come back to school. And then once they get to a certain point, then they might go like a whole quarter, half a semester where they're out working. So they're gradually building them up. So they're learning about the real world. And then, and then they have this partnership with the Chamber of Commerce who certifies them. Now, real quick, Dave, when I got back from China and India and I did about 50 TV interviews in 2011, I called the San Diego Chamber of Commerce. And I, I said, hey, you really need to do an article about this, about what I just learned, especially what I was seeing in the Chinese schools, vocational schools. And the CEO of that Chamber of Commerce said, well, we don't do education stories. We only do business stories. Oh. And I said, well, wait a minute. This is an education story. This is a business story because it's all about business, training their kids. And, he, and the guy told me two or three times, but Mr. Ballard, we don't do um, education stories. Dave, he wow. didn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. You see, they get it over in places like Germany and Switzerland and Singapore and Finland and Estonia. Now, I know some of these are socialist countries, but you know what? We can learn a few things from those socialist countries. I, I don't really, I'm not advocating to be a socialist, but boy, when I see best practices, I don't care where it's from. I'll take it. And, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, but those things won't work because they don't know any better, especially educators that like to talk, you know, and say, oh, it wouldn't work here. Oh, really? Really? Best practices wouldn't work here? I bet they would. I bet they would. I know they would, but we don't do that here. Yeah, well, it's... It's the same thing you described with the administration at your own school district. If it's not invented here, and if it makes us do something different, I, I'm going to interject my interpretation. It's too much work, and we don't want to. We don't want to change. Would you say the openness to innovation is greater in these higher performing schools than it is here in America? Much more, and I'll tell you why. Because again. <laughs> When you're a international comparative benchmarker, when I talk about benchmarker, that means you're you're constantly sending educators, policymakers out to the other top twenty uh, piece of countries in the world. They're they're benchmarking. They're they're constantly seeing what are they doing this year that they weren't. That's how they continually improve the system. When we don't do that, when our system is based on more of what liberals might say, just throw more money at it. That's what we'd like to do. Oh, let's just throw money without a lot of thought and thinking. It's like Biden's approach right now 
I just read about this a couple days ago. He's 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 worried about this teacher crisis too, and so he's saying, "Yeah, we need to advertise more in these these commercial um, <clears throat> places, and we need to look for other ways to 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 to, um, to you know to get teachers certified." You know, kind of like the way I don't know if this is what he's saying, but you know they're looking at some of these alternative certification programs. As you know, we talked about it in Arizona right now, where. You don't need a college degree anymore to be a classroom teacher. You just have to be enrolled in six credit hours um, at a community college and be 18 years old. Crazy, crazy, Dave. The top 20 in the world would never do it about that. And in fact, the most important aspect, and here we go to number two. Well, before you leave there, I I want to address Arizona, because Arizona has their head up where the sun doesn't shine. Um, the uh, a, a friend of my son, she's uh, in her third year of college, and she's taking over a fourth grade class next week. That's number one. Number two, you know, I, I haven't taught in high school for a while, and so obviously my certification is expired. And out of curiosity, as I was reading your book, I put it down, and I called our Department of Education. And I said, can you guys look me up? I said, can you tell me what I would have to do to reactivate my license and get a job in the public schools? And they said, you'd have to take 100 continuous education hours. And I go, what? I said, then how can you hire a junior in college to take over a fourth grade class? And yet you'll deny me, an educator with all my experience, because I'm not taking the 100 hours. That's how insane the system is here in Arizona. Hmm. Well... Um, at least he's a junior taking over that fourth grade class. Technically, it's so bad. For example, if you're a, in, in places like math where they're really critically short over there, and by the way, there's a lot of reasons, um, and, and I definitely want to address this because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna title this next part Teacher Quality and what the best are doing in the world and what we're not. And let's just use Arizona as an example. It's an extreme example, but we can use that. But right now, a principal could technically hire an 18-year-old who just graduated, and as long as he or she has taken six credit hours, they could put that person in the classroom. Now, they're already bringing in um, importing teachers from um, the Philippines. Yes. Um, you can read about that. And um, and by the way, last year for the 2021-22 school year, I did a little research on this before I did it, my TEDx over at Green Canyon University last April. At uh, By January of 2022, still um, about one-third of the jobs had not been filled and about 50% of the jobs, this is mid-semester, were either um, – you know, with subs or uh, our uh, emergency credentials, some, something like that. So um, that's not tolerated in high-performing countries. They don't allow this alternative certification. Um, it's very well controlled. The standards to get in are very high. For example, let's, let's, let's start with that. So what does it take to be a teacher in Finland or China or Germany or South Korea. Well, in South Korea, to be an elementary teacher, you have to be in the top 5% of your university cohort. I'm talking about the same cohort, Dave, that they would recruit uh, from uh, engineers, architects, doctors, Mm -hmm. lawyers. 
right? This is what it takes. Now, they many of these high-performing countries have a surplus of teachers. I'll say it again. A surplus of certified teachers, whereas in the U.S., for the most part, there are there are some exceptions, but we know about the teacher crisis here. For the most part, um, you know, they're begging for teachers, right? They're begging for them here in California and really ex- places like Arizona. They're really begging. So how do they do that? How does how how are a place like Finland? Why are there 10 teachers to apply for a program for every one spot? Right. Why? Because they make it a profession that's professional. You'll find that most of the high-performing countries have these things in common. They, the starting wage of a teacher is, for a beginning teacher, is about the same as the starting wage of an engineer in that country. Right? And so that's how they can do it. Duh! You don't have to go to the moon. It's all right here. But they don't constantly bash teachers. They make it a professional thing. Um, so they've created some professionalism. Again, this takes time. It takes time. You, you know, you, 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 we, we have such a horrible system at this point where most college kids and their parents, there was just a, a, a there was just a, a, a survey through Education Week that said that most parents would not want their kids to be teachers because it has such a low status job, not just among parents, but among college kids. In fact, it, it, over at Arizona State University, I, read, I looked on the website. The Common Sense Show is proud to be able to bring you some very special deals for my pillow. For example, they've got half off my pillow bed sheets, more than half off their slippers, their sandals, their mattresses, their topper covers, women's lingerie. Now, they have extremely great products, as you all know. Ladies and gentlemen, right now go to mypillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. Mypillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges. But you only need about a 2.25 to be considered to be a teacher. Well, in a high-performing country, you'd probably need more like, well, to be in the top 20% of your cohort, I bet you're looking at towards a 3.5 and above. Yeah, you are. So you are. And, you know, when I was, in, when I was at university, um, it was 3.0 to get in the teacher education program. It's really been watered down. You're so right. So it's, it's been extremely watered down, but, again, they can't find the people. So that's why they've watered it down. And then when you have a system now that says you don't even need a degree over in, over in, um, over in Florida now, uh, Governor DeSantis says if you're a military veteran, it uh, doesn't matter about your education. As long as you served your first tour, you're ready to be a teacher. And, and they're putting them in the classroom. And, and, and so, you know, that's great. My dad was a Navy captain, but he was an officer with, uh, you know, about nine, nine years of, uh, of, of education. He was a doctor. But uh, I, I've had plenty of friends that are veterans, and some are really bright in the enlisted side, and a lot of them aren't. And I can't imagine if they needed a job just, to, just because they were a veteran putting them in a classroom. It doesn't work that way in high-performing countries. Okay, let, let me let me, let me, let me expound on this one more time and then we're going to jump to the next one if you want but okay so 
I was over in in in, in um, Finland, and Finland uh, is one of the most revered, I think, even by American educators, and rightly so. One of the best uh, the the best systems in the world. Um, it really is. If there was a system of the 17 countries that I went to, if there was one I could have put my son in, it's not the highest performing, but it's one of the best. It's not that it's like in the top 11 in the world. It would have been Finland, just because of it's so balanced, right? But I went over to Finland, and I was in the Huvaskula, Finland, and I visited teacher training school. So in a nutshell, this is how it works. So before you, when you get out, before you, you, you have to be in a university kind of uh, 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 pipeline. Um, you, you, you know, uh, you have to go to kind of a university pipeline school and not, not be so much vocab. You've got to be a top student to even be considered. Then you have to make a very long application process. I mean, I'm talking interviewing process just to get into the College of Education program. So as I mentioned before, about 10 students apply for every one position, so highly competitive. So if you're selected, right away you would go to, you know, a teacher training college. Now, by the way, they, they only have about seven. I heard they're building another one. I think it could be eight in all of Finland. Now, Finland's probably – how many do – you know, do you know the population no. of Arizona, by the way? Oh, uh, okay. it's, about eight, well, it's about eight million. Okay, well, Finland is smaller than Arizona. It's about five and a half million. So I was over in Ubascula. They don't have all these uh, Internet universities and, and, and all these silly programs where you, you might do a little bit of student teaching at the end, right? Um, easy programs. You pretty much just do the stuff. Uh, you know, you pass the classes and you get on. I mean, it's a rigorous, very difficult program. You start your student teaching – in your freshman year, you're already student teaching, and your sophomore, and your junior, and your senior year. Now, wait a minute. This is the best part, Dave. You can appreciate this. All of their teacher training programs are directly across the street. Um, they have elementary schools that surround the university, middle school, and high schools. So the kids walk right across. Now, the teacher trainers at these schools... I might be getting a little technical, but see, this is the beauty of it. This is how they do it. They're selected from the best, the top of the people that are teachers. So it's like the Navy, it's like SEAL Team 6. It's like the Navy SEALs are the teachers. And then you have Deb Groove, SEAL Team 6, that they only select to be the trainers. So no wonder it's so good. And then when the kids graduate, they've been professionally developed. It's, these schools are so good. The teachers are so good. And they start the, the, the teachers at a very, very high salary. Not, you know, super, super high, but competitive to about an engineer. Really? So can you see how that, that oh, yes, oh, yes. And I'm, I could give you this example in many ways. They're not bashing the system. Oh, by the way, this is important. I interviewed a number of teachers, and I mean 70, 80 of them at least over there, and probably 20 different principals and administrators. I never once met a Finnish teacher that hadn't been to two other countries. Now I realize the countries over there are much closer than you know the proximity of a country to the, to the U.S., 
But by the way, Canada isn't in the number 10 in the world. They're significantly better than our K-12 system. And the standards to be a Canadian teacher are very, very high, much, much higher than over in the U.S. So we do have something right on our doorstep, but not very often do they see American educators over in their their um, schools. Uh, I visited schools both in Edmonton and Toronto. So can you see, though, where I'm going with this? Can you see why things might be different and there might be a very different outcome at the end? But again, Dave, this takes time. This takes you have to go out. You have to be a benchmarker. You have to go to other, constantly be sending your educators out. I never met a principal that hadn't been to five other countries, five other country school systems. And why is that? Because part of being a principal, that program that they have in the university system, is the principals must, and this is paid for, this is paid for by the government, it is, they're, they must go to five other countries and spend time and study their systems, not in a book form, but right in the classrooms, just as I did. So this is why you have such a different system. This is a little bit different than what Governor Doug, Doug Ducey does, which doesn't pay the teachers. Jack, you know what? I think the starting wage is about 36000 and that's after they went on strike. So they must feel really good about that. And by the way, uh, my wife's a former uh, teach, retired teacher over in Arizona, so they, they regularly freeze the pay steps. So, you know, the, that means, you know, from one year one or the next year you get a little increment. Well, many of the times they freeze those increments, and the ceiling doesn't go up very high. So it's, it's low to start, it's low to finish, and it's not a very good deal. So. There's my little take on um, teacher quality, which yeah. Um, let me uh, let me. Uh, it doesn't. I, I want to shift to one thing because we're going to run out of time here because we got about ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask you because it's such a hot button in society today. Uh, I hear what you're saying about best practices, teacher training. That's really critical. But I'll tell you what's keeping a lot of teachers from going into the profession. It's not just the pay. It's the yeah. uh, it, it's the woke ideology they're being forced into in many oh. districts. Can you address that? You are right. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a good one. I'm sorry uh, we didn't talk about that. So, yes. Uh, so here's the situation. I would consider myself an independent. Um, uh, and, and I go both ways. But I, I, I must say that the majority of educators in education slant left. And a lot of them slant really to the left. So because of this left slant, see, they actually believe that about 50% of America, that, you know, this is what we should be doing. What they fail to realize is that a lot of Americans don't actually, you know, subside to their, their philosophy. So, for example, in my own school, I remember uh, right is it right after COVID? It might have been right after COVID. Uh, we talked, we spent about three days at, on professional development at the beginning of the school on trans issues and LGBTQ. Now, I realize these, you know, we need to talk about that. But do we spend three days on it? Last year, I'm on 
sleep for a semester day. But last year, we never once, and I'm going to say, I never remember once talking about student achievement. So the focus is more on equity. And we talk so much about equity and what we're not doing and the poor kids and the poor kids and the poor kids. But how inequitable is it that we don't, we tell all kids they're going to go to college and then we don't even set them up with a career. I don't think that's very equitable. And then, you know, we get into some of the the history of the U.S. And, and I know, you know, uh, 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 critical race theory and things like that. We don't really talk about critical race theory, but then, of course, a lot of the teachers actually, I think, indirectly maybe teach that that type of curriculum. So is it really left? And, and then, you know, we hear a lot of the teachers didn't want to come back during COVID, right? So we expected doctors to come back and we expected nurses to come back and we expected deliveries, Amazon, but oh, during COVID, we, you know, a lot of the teacher unions put up resistance. I think that was completely wrong, especially, especially after the vaccination was offered, you know, we should have been in the classroom. So um, yeah, I think it points, it, it slants really, really left. I think um, now parents are starting to get pissed off. They're taking their kids out of public schools. And it's true, about 50,000 students didn't show up over at uh, Los Angeles uh, City Schools. Well, guess what? As Michael Bloomberg said, about one and a half million kids after COVID just went bye-bye. And the kids are still there. So what happened to them? Well, parents enrolled their kids into other alternatives. Frankly, a lot of them went into private schools and they're saying, Hey man, I don't, I don't want this liberal left ideology. So I'll just pay the extra money and put my kids into private schools. And you know what? I can't blame them. Uh Oh, listen to this one. Listen to this one, Dave. My current principal at Southwest middle school, Alyssa Gracias, boy, she's out promoting the kids, you know, she's promoting our school because it's really on the down and down. About four years ago, we were about 700 kids, and we're just we're just floating right now at a little bit about 400. So a lot of kids have gone. But guess where her kids went to school? Private school. Uh-huh. And my former, my former principal, Bill Wash, guess where he put his kid? In private school. So these are the same people out promoting, oh, you know, come back. We want our, our public schools are great. Our public schools are great. But on the other hand, it's do as I say, not as I do. They're putting their kids in private schools. So, um, hey, what can I say, man? It is what it is, right? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. It's just, uh, like I said, I asked parents, why did you take your kid out? And they said they need to learn math and science, not how to hate kids of a different race. And that that's what I hear repetitively. And now we're sexualizing kids in the first grade. And not in every school district, but in enough where it's making an impact on how many parents want to be in the system. And then I just want to cover one more thing with you, so we have time to cover. Uh, one of the biggest impediments I see in education is the NEA. First, they took $5 billion from the federal government, and I see no visible signs they've done anything to make teachers' lives easier. They haven't done anything in terms of funding. Uh, they are a, a fundraising element of the Democratic Party, and that's all I see them good for. Uh, they don't 
They don't promote their own. And it just, it's disgusting, the NEA. In fact, education, I think it would do much better if they didn't have the NEA. Now, I know unions can provide a good service, but that's only because the local people running that union are worth a damn. But the NEA itself, that from my point of view, it's a big boondoggle. How do you feel about the union situation? Okay, so here's the situation. I, I, you know, I was milking National Educator of the Year. So, you know, uh, for for what it is, Teacher Magazine says it's dubbed the Oscars of Education. It came with a cash raise of twenty five thousand dollars. So it's definitively one of the elite teaching awards in K twelve education in America. And, and I, I received that in in two thousand three. With that said, I can say, Dave, that. Um, I would have been fired no less than five times. Why? Because I uh, I challenge people, uh, sometimes challenge parents. I challenge uh, uh, mostly administrators, stupid administrators, and there's a lot of those. Oh God, there are. But um, and so if I hadn't had the union on my side, I definitively would have been cut. As I say, police have unions, and some are good and some are bad. Probably most are good. Fire department, pilots, you know, nurses. But here, here's the situation. We definitely need to um, – we have a different type of union. We have a very adversarial type of union in the U.S., much different than what um, uh, uh, educators and in – let's take, for example, Canada. So Canada has more of a professional union where um, – uh, by the way, the administrators are in the same union as the teachers, and you know that's not the situation here in America. So they work more collaterally, cooperatively. There, there's your key, right there. There's thing. your key. But there you but go. I hear what you're saying that you had uh, satisfaction, but you dealt with local union people who cared enough to help you. I'm talking about the NEA, and, and and what I see them doing is promoting wokeism over education. That's my main objection to them. I- I'd say I'd say you're right there, and I'd say that they are a big lobbying arm, and they get their share of the union fees that I put in. And I don't know what my union fees are, but I I think they're about 115 dollars a month. Oh. So times that by 10, that's a fair amount of people. And you figure in California, I think they have about 316 um, 316 uh, thousand teachers just for one state alone. That's a lot of money that goes into the NEA. So I can tell you, though, that if you look at all of these countries like Germany, Liechtenstein, Belgium, Netherlands, Estonia, uh, Finland, um, they, they all have um, very, very strong unions, well, socialized countries. But even in places like China and Singapore, Taiwan, Japan, where they don't have unions per se, even Vietnam, but they have strong strong state protection for teachers. Um, but that doesn't mean that if you say anything against the the Chinese government that you're not going to get fired. But I'm saying it's pretty much a job for life unless you really screw up. Does that make sense? So there has to be some protections uh, along the way um, because, you know, otherwise teachers would be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly abused by administrators and i think you and i talked administrators for the most part it's not about the welfare of the kids it's not doing best for the kids it's protecting their butts and they will 
do anything and everything to make sure um, they will just cover their butts. And, and so it has very little to do to that. And so if you don't think they'll screw a teacher with that same attitude, they surely will. And you know that. Yeah. As a former teacher, I've seen it uh, over and over. But I I will. I did grievances for my district for two years, so yeah, I saw it in spades. But I'll I'll say this too: that administration today, the way that you become an administrator is not to be the least bit innovative or controversial. You're just a good little sheepdog that will do what you're told, and you don't cause waves in your administrator. You contain problems within your building, and you don't try to come out with any innovations, no creativity. Your job is how to survive, and you do that by not making waves. And what happens is that promotes an atmosphere of mediocrity. That's how I see it. You just read my mind. That's Southwest Middle School Administration where I work. That's Sweetwater Union High School District Administration. That's probably 98% of all administration in America. And let me tell you one thing. I think this is very important. I know you're, I know we're running out of time, but this is really, really important. For example, to be an administrator in places like Finland or um, Singapore or even China, I know this real well. I talked to many, many administrators there. You would have had to be a top teacher, a top teacher. That's the only way in. If you look at most of our administrators, and I'm telling you this is true, you, you didn't have to be a top teacher. You have to be a yes man. So as long as you're willing to float their party line, being a top teacher, and if you're not a top teacher as an administrator, how can you – you know, that that should be the starting point, the focal point. But it's so much more political. And it's really, are you willing to have your dog, your, your tail wagged? And a guy like me, unfortunately, I never could. I, I never could be in administration because you can't challenge the system. They don't want that. You just follow, you know, it's, it's more like a military structure. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make any sense. Just do it, smile, and you'll be either. It's the Peter principle. I think that's what it's all about. So you're right. When I was um, working on my Ph.D. in psychology, one of the things that we looked at was creativity. And one of the glaring conclusions from the research was that authoritarian atmospheres, whether it be a country, a school district, a school building, they kill creativity. And creativity is the wellspring of education. And we used to say that the reason foreign countries don't produce as many scientists as we have, and at that time we had invented 24 of the 25 microcircuits, Japan being the other one, they said the reason that we don't have that kind of competition is because we foster creativity from our atmosphere of freedom. Now we are no longer a free nation, First and Second Amendments under attack, Fifth Amendment under attack, and we become like everybody else. What is it in these other nations that allows them to foster creativity in an atmosphere of repressive politics? Because they seem to be doing it where we can't. Well, what happened was, and this is a great question, maybe one of your best. <laughs> this is a good one. But, for example, let's look at Asia, because Asia is much different than Europe. But let's let's take Asia. So Asia used to be incredibly poor. And, the and, I, and I got to say this, we, we got we got two minutes <laughs> to close and to talk about your okay. book. Okay. And the, okay, so I'll give you my quick spiel. So in the 1960s, Singapore was one of the poorest countries in the world. They're, they were on GDP pretty much with, um, with Afghanistan. 
now um, their uh, um, GDP per capita is pretty close to the U.S. They are the jewel of Asia. How did they do that? Well, they're like China because of a lot of the people in Singapore are Chinese, right? About 85%. Um, they're based very much in a Confucius philosophy. And what is Confucianism? Respect for education, respect for authority, right? Respect for hard work. But they were so poor, they just didn't have the money. Now that they've, they've learned, like Taiwan's learned, as the best semiconductors in the world, China, you know, China's starting to dick. They are, they are, um, there are so many people in the past that said, oh, China can't do it. China can't do it. They can't innovate. Well, we know they're the biggest thieves in the world. They love to steal Western technology. But guess what? They've stolen a lot of it, and they still do. But now they're starting to get innovative. Get innovative. Why? Because they've sent their, their best and their brightest all over the U.S. So now that's all mixing together. I, I had a, uh, a conversation with a, with a very high-level Singaporean um, um, administrator about this who works with, the, with, with business, too, over at their uh, National Institute of Education. And we talked about this one thing, and he said, just give, us t- give them time. One last thing. Let's look at South Korea. And South Korea is about 30 years ahead in China in terms of innovation, what do I mean by that? Because after the Korean War, what do we do? In the U.S., we helped South Korea, right? We gave them a lot of funding, and we, they manufactured a lot of things. And then so China didn't get really going until about mid-'80s, early-'90s. So they're still trying to catch up. But if you've ever been to Seoul, Korea, if you've ever been to Korea, oh, my gosh, that, that's an innovative place. Just look at all their products, all their electronics, shipbuilding, yeah, exactly. and, and, and now defense. So they're they're... They're, that Confucius-driven philosophy, Dave. Guess what? It's not so bad. It's not so bad, and they and they are all catching up. Look at Vietnam. They're ten percent most disadvantaged kids. The ten percent most disadvantaged kids in Vietnam did better than the average American kid on the PISA test. So watch out for Vietnam. All of these Confucius-driven countries. It's their time. They're all developing. Yeah. The Internet has changed a lot of things. Watch out because the U.S., boy, they are really kind of standing still, and we're going to get our butts kicked. I hear I you. Think we're already Keith, we, I'm going to have you go. back to talk about what parents should be doing with regard to their education of their kids, and I want to focus on that one topic. But we got 15 seconds for you to tell people where they can get your book, Stealing okay. from the World's Best Schools. So today I only talked about three of the eight things that I mentioned. So we got, if you have me back, we got five more. But yeah, you can just go on Amazon or any bookstore, Stealing from the World's Best Schools, Keith Ballard, Brooke Staggs, who is a former teacher. Yeah, we got um, She's a journalist. We're, we're, we're out of time. But... Anyway, she helped, she helped write it, but that's it. Uh, $15, if you really want to know what's going on in the world, that's, that's the book. Perfect. And where can they get it again? Amazon, Stealing from the World's Best Schools, or any bookstore. Highly recommended, folks. I'm in the middle of reading it. It is fantastic. Keith, we're going to have you back on to talk about the parents. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Common Sense Show. Parents are very important, maybe one of the most. Thank you. 
We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call buryyourgold.com and what it does is it goes into a container you lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches it's a 50-year warranty on the device it only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground and you can keep it for safekeeping and I'll tell you this is the way to hide your gold not in false walls but underground will be very very difficult to detect to find out more Go to buryyourgold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee.